following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. gentlemen welcome to the insider's edge podcast here on the wzwa network i'm your host with the most on the west coast california in fury great to be with you all once again and this is a massive honor for me here tonight and today for my lovely guest here at this time she's intelligent she's fun she's wonderful she's beautiful she is the perfect 10 she's the one and only baby doll how are you my friend Thank you. That's quite an introduction. Thank you so much. Uh, fun and intelligent. That's a, that's a good combination. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm really excited to, to talk to you today. Um, and I know like most of the time when I start these interviews, the first question is like, how did you become a, a fan of the wrestling business before you ended up being a part of it? But in your case, your, your parents were actually involved in the wrestling <laughs> business. Um, would you be able to tell me a little bit about them, uh, you know, and, and what it was like growing up with wrestlers as parents? It was uh, very unique. Uh, we, I grew up in West Texas, which is a farm country. It's uh, cattle and cotton. Um, my dad had the wrestling promotion for a little over 20 years. So we had everybody go through there from like the Sheik, um, Dick, the, um, Dick Murdoch, Dory Jr., Terry Funk, uh, Dusty Rhodes, Tully when he first started out, the Von Erics, Ricky Romero, Cyclone Negro, um, Blackie Gordman. Um, it was just, it, it seemed like every three months somebody new was coming in, so it was really cool. Plus, then my dad was on TV every Saturday, you know, promoting the matches. My mom was beautiful. She had, like, movie star, good looks, and um, it it's it's a blessing that I was born into a wrestling family because if I was born into a wrestling family or into a family that didn't like wrestling, I would have been in trouble because I love wrestling. And it was just so cool, you know, just waiting for 605 Georgia Championship Wrestling to come on and or like uh, traveling on vacations and getting the TV guide and seeing when the wrestling shows were on so you could see like the new talent or, you know, like going to Minnesota and seeing AWA or traveling to Georgia where my grandparents were at and, and seeing the, the local shows there. It was um, really cool. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> big difference between uh, your fandom uh, as you're growing up and me being all the way over here. I didn't get to see wrestling until I was about, oh, geez, 16, 17 live. Uh, but that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so, uh, okay, um, I, I think from one of our previous conversations, we had a little bit of a chat on uh, Twitter. Um, I, I believe you mentioned that you, your parents wrestled in Australia, is that correct? My mom did. Uh, my yeah. mom, it would have been like the late 50s, uh, wrestled wow. for about a year in, in Australia. In fact, she had a miscarriage there, so kind of bittersweet because she really, really liked it, but then uh, losing the child. She remembered uh, swimming in uh, the ocean and just having a great time. And then all of a sudden they started ringing the bells and yelling for everybody to come in. And you know, it was the sharks that come over the, the reef where they could see them. And she's trying to figure out what's going on. And everybody's like running past her in this big hysteria until she realized that there were sharks coming in. So 
<laughs> yeah, it can be a little bit wild down here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, okay. Uh, time wears on in your life. Uh, I believe at one stage you, you trained to be an EMT. Is that correct? Uh, how was... Uh, sorry, please continue. Oh, I was going to go to school for EMT and then be a paramedic so I could ski patrol up in Colorado. I wanted to do the ski patrol, but right. things went a different way. Things went a different way. And, and I'm guessing they went the way of you going to world class in 1984 to be a valet for Gina Hernandez. Right. I had um, just a couple of weeks left in the class and was doing very well in it and really, really liked it. Whenever the opportunity to came up to go to uh, Dallas, had to tell my parents that um, I was quitting school. I'd already had four and a half years of college and just taking like general classes because I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but still was on that college path in the right way. And then all of a sudden do the 180 and oh, by the way, I'm moving to Dallas and going to work as Gino's valet. So. Very disappointing moment, I'm sure, for them. <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, I often think of uh, when I told my dad when I was younger that I wanted to be a wrestler when I grew up. It looked uh, the look in his face. It looked like I'd told him I wanted to be a ventriloquist or something like that. Oh yeah, was, uh, not not impressed. <laughs> um, I, I want to <laughs> ask about uh, the punk rock look that you you kind of had back then. It was really cool. Um, we influenced. Did you like that kind of music? What, what made you go, uh, go that route with your look? I really, back then, I liked everything. I, I kind of took the look off from like Billy Idol, uh, Rod Stewart, the B-52s, and Adamant was kind of the whole genre thing. So it was it was kind of cool because you they, they give you so much leeway with your character they did back then. You could pretty much do whatever you wanted to. And I had to look big and tough and Gino's bodyguard. So he wouldn't have anyone that was pretty or glamorous, but he'd really have someone that was unique and different. And I just kind of went off that. Plus then having the gauntlets and the chains protecting me from the fans because the fans would come up and hit you and you'd get to hit them back. So it was nice to be a little loaded. <laughs> and it, it and the, the biggest challenge for me was like jumping up into the ring every night because not every town had stairs for the ring. So when you're thinking you're jumping up into something that's maybe four foot, almost five foot tall, <coughs> and you have to do it gracefully, yeah. That was the biggest thing for me was how am I getting in and out of the ring without like busting loose anywhere? <laughs> Absolutely. Um. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to ask this because um, there's probably a lot of people out there, wrestling fans. I want to ask for the layman out there. Uh, your duties, you know, uh, performing with Gino, um, as you know, being at ringside with him. It's not just walking out there and just standing at ringside and cheering him on. There's more to it than that. I wanted you to kind of like let everyone know out there exactly, you know, what goes into a job like this. Oh my gosh. Well, if you've got a town that night, if you've got to work, you have to get all your gear together. You have to pack everything that you're going to take with you, including meals, drinks, whatever you need for the possible 18 to 24 hours you're going to be gone. So you've got to pack all your gear up, 
get ready to go. You probably have 200 miles to drive. So you get in the car, you probably uh, would pick, pick someone up on the way. You get to the town, you're supposed to be to the show an hour to an hour and a half before the bell time or before the uh, doors open. So let's say the um, doors open at seven and the bell time is eight. So that means you've got to be there between 5.30 and six. Then you've got to get ready and wait. And there's a lot of waiting and a lot of waiting and a lot of waiting. And then you're tired. So I would try to get a room off to myself so I could maybe get an hour or two of sleep before I'd have to drive back again because I did almost all the driving. And then you get all hyped up and then you uh, work your match, which is 20, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour. You get out, you're just so, you're just at the peak of adrenaline and now you've got to drive 200 miles to go back home. And it's uh, it's exhausting. It's it's fun. You get to see a lot of the country, and then you don't get to see a lot of the country because you're just traveling and not getting to go the side routes. Um, it's a very unique lifestyle, and either you can do it or you can't. It's kind of like taking bumps and learning how to to wrestle. Your body will tell you no, no matter how much you want to be a wrestler and do all the things. At some point, your body says no. I can't take this. The same thing with traveling. It's exhausting. Um, the first year I worked with Tully, I only had 15 days off the whole year. I had no holidays, no weekends, no nothing. 15 days off the whole year, and the rest of it was traveling. We got like a million frequent flyer miles with Eastern just in like a year and a half. It's crazy. <laughs> whatever you crazy. think it is, whatever you think it is, it's more. Because not only did you have to do that day, then the next day you have to get up and maybe have to drive a 300-mile trip and then spend the night and then drive another 300 to go to the show and then another 300 to get back home. That was not unusual. So a lot of driving, a lot of airports. It's just, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's fun. It was just, it's indescribable. And the only way I could really tell you is whatever you think it is, it's more than what you could even imagine. Wow. Awesome. Um, I, I, did my research and I think this was your first in-ring performance. Correct me if I'm wrong, because the internet can be incorrect quite a lot of the time. The 30th of September, 1984, San Antonio, Texas, yourself and Gino take on Kevin Von Erich and Stella Mae French in a time limit draw. Uh, would that be the first time that you performed uh, in the ring or, or or am I wrong? The first time was, um, I remember it was the Sunday before Labor Day. So what day did you have on that? Uh, I had the say? 30th of September. So that's too late. I remember it was the Sunday before Memorial Day, but it was Joe Harry Coliseum. And uh, Gino actually won the match. I thought you had a clip. That's where I put my glasses on. Um, <sighs> Gino, I think, actually won the match because he had... Um, Mike in like a head in like the sleeper hold and they knocked Bronco out. I think Gino might've won the match because of me, because of disqualification. That would have made sense. It wouldn't have made a sense to go to a time limit draw at that point. Cause Gino would have to get the heat because of the win, because I cheated for him. So when I came down, I remember I hit Stella on the head with, I had like a loaded sock. It was a red, it was actually Gary Hart's sock. It was his red sock. <laughs> I hit her over the head. I beat her up, went to the ring. I remember um, like grabbing Mike's foot or no, I had him. I, I remember I jumped up on the ring and I had Mike 
um, around, you know, like a, like a sleeper holder, reverse chin lock or something. And then Gina went off the ropes and was going to get him, but then missed me. So it was for my first match and not being smart. Cause I, I didn't really know anything about, you know, like the fit, I kind of had an idea, but actually when they gave me the finish in the dressing room that night was the first time I'd ever really been smart enough to wrestling where I actually put all the pieces together was just like, Oh, that's how they do it. <laughs> I didn't let anybody know then. So <laughs> I always find that so interesting that um, so many people I've had on the show, that's how they found out um, that, you know, it was a work was <laughs> just through actually yeah, doing on, it. On the way to the thing. Well, that's the way it should be. And, and it's ruined now and it can never go back. But that was the magic of it. You, you thought you knew, but you didn't know. And even now, yeah. a lot of people think they know, but they really, they don't. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, so um, you, you spend a little bit of time there in world class. Uh, why did you leave the company uh, eventually before uh, 1985? Uh, was it just one of those things? Uh, it just, I was, I knew I was only going to be like temporary. Um, the girl that they had working sunshine had gone into rehab. She had had some addiction problems and was going to get healthy and get better. And so uh, she had just gotten out of the, the limelight for a little bit and gotten, um, uh, went to go take care of herself. Well, in the meantime, they needed to bring in another girl to kind of take her place. So they had Stella Mae French, which was her truck driving aunt that um, was going to beat up Gino, that had the thing for Gino, because I guess because um, Gino had hurt. Um, sunshine then she was going to take revenge out for her so they brought in Stella and then because at that time guys didn't wrestle against girls and guys just really didn't have anything even like when they had mixed tags when someone tagged in they had to tag the other partner in because you couldn't have a guy against a girl it was taboo so for Gino to come back against Stella then he would need to get a girl which that was my part when Sunshine came back at the Cotton Bowl in October and came down off the helicopter and everything. She was beautiful. She was healthy. She looked great. The body, the face, everything just fell. They wanted her. And that was the whole thing. So they phased us out. We only had uh, two dates left, which was Christmas Day and the day after in Florida. For World Class, we went in as like a special attraction match for Florida. And that was the last two uh, shots. And I was lucky enough that Tully and Dusty were on the card and I was able to go to Dusty and, and um, ask him if he needed a girl. And with Tully standing right there, they were actually looking for the perfect pan. I had no idea that all the pieces fell into place. They looked at me and was just like, she is exactly what we're looking for. And I just, I had no idea that what I was walking into and it was, it was, it was perfect and it worked. And it was just like whenever they say that all the stars lined up, well, that certainly it they all lined up that day. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, so, bringing it to Tully now, just wanted to ask you what your fondest memories are uh, of working uh, alongside him uh, during your time there, uh, you know, uh, in the company. And yeah, just share, share some stories of Tully. Oh, Tully was a character. Oh my gosh, it was. We were so opposite. 
but it was so good because just the chemistry of us working together and then with he being so cocky and just going, this is my perfect and everybody going, yeah, right, sure. And then him defending that. And it was just between Dusty and Tully and myself, the stories that were able to be created, it was it was so cool because everybody had equal amounts of everything. Nobody shone brighter than anybody else. Nobody did more than anything else. If um, the one thing that I can say for Tully and and I'm so thankful for is he kept me equal with him rather than it all being him or you know like him using me or or getting me in the way or whatever. Whenever we did something like whenever we burned Dusty, I handed Tully the fire rather than me burning burning Dusty, which was the original idea. Tully was like, no, have her hand it to me, then I'll burn them. Then we all have equal amounts of whatever heat we're going to get. And it made sense. I was so thankful that I was able to work with his genius and with Tully not letting Dusty go overboard and really taking care of me and protecting me and knowing that I was worth something to him. It, it, to this day, I'm thankful. I I'm so thankful because it was, he was so boisterous and, and had the girls and the, and the extracurricular and everything. And I was kind of able to keep him more steady during that time and make sure he got to the towns and, and everything was good and went and got the drug. What's really cool is like for the first 10 months, I actually was the valet role because I remember going to the dry cleaner and getting all the dry cleaning and making all the hotel reservations and all the airport reservations and making sure everybody had all their frequent flyer miles and then ran a car. It was it was fun gig. It was really fun. It was fun <laughs> being one of the boys. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, here's an interesting, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these questions I have for you today are questions you've answered a hundred times, um, but I, I, I'm really just, you know, I'm interested in this. Uh, Dusty defeats Tully uh, for the television championship on July 6th, 1985 at the Great American Bash, which meant right. that you were forced to be Dusty's valet for 30 days. And during this time, vignettes aired in which he, he tried to turn you into a real lady. Uh, how fun was it doing these uh, vignettes with Dusty? It was really cool because it, it, you had no preparation. It was like seven o'clock on like a Tuesday morning. Hey, we're going to go meet up at Nelson's and do the, uh, I want to do a video. And you'd have to get ready and just hopefully you pack the right amount of clothes. It was uh, <laughs> Dusty's genius. And it was like with Floyd the horse, every, everybody worked out because with Nelson's uh, ranch that he had right there and the horse and little Robert and the stalls. And whenever I look back on it, it was, they just basically gave you the idea of like, okay, just uh, muck out the stalls and then walk down the hallway. And you kind of had to put it together. Like, okay, what do you want to do? And how do you want to embellish it and take your time and, you know, get all the stuff in and the disgust and the whole thing. And then, and inside, and instead of being like disgusted, like I'm mucking out a stall, it's like, yay, I'm in a vignette. You know, it's like, and then the idea, like with riding with Floyd and, and actually like putting on a saddle, they had no idea if I could put on a saddle or not. And then <laughs> getting to ride and everything. And it just, everything worked out because they just gave you the basic idea. And then through Dusty's creativity, it, it just worked. And, and to this day, people still ask, well, what happened to Floyd? 
<laughs> you became a star for a little while. <laughs> awesome. Um, another, this is like a, a moment in time, that's for sure. Uh, December 28th, 1985 on NWA Worldwide Wrestling, Tully slaps you in the face. Uh, I watched footage of this recently, and wow, like it's a it's a real slap to the face. Uh, but what was the idea behind this? You know, how did you feel about it? And obviously, it's something that you wouldn't see on TV these days unless it's on something like I don't know <laughs> a, a crime show like Law and Order or something like that. But um, or maybe The Sopranos. But uh, back then, you know, it was a little bit different time. Uh, please tell me about this slap. Um, it was, it was time for me to move on, I guess, with, um, after the, uh, I quit match with, uh, Magnum and, um, Tully and I had been together like right at a year, just almost 11 months. And so we had really kind of done everything that we could possibly do at that point. Dusty actually had the idea that he was going to put me with Buddy Landell and have Landell, uh, chase, uh, Flair for the title and but through Landell's addictions he missed TV and nobody saw him for like a week almost two weeks and then when it came time to do the thing on TV he never showed up so Dusty was um had all, already kind of made the commitment that he was going to take me from Tully Tully was upset because we had been gold at that point and Tully didn't like change and Tully wasn't quite sure like where it was going to go after that. And thankfully, like with JJ, JJ and him clicked and then the four horsemen were born. So it, it all worked out. But Tully was always like nervous about like, well, what are they going to do with us next? What's next? What's next? So I know he was really apprehensive about that. And then to turn me babyface, it really had to be one of the most violent things that he did because it had to be over. It, it just, you know, you had to rip the sheet. It was done. It was over. There was no going back. It's pretty much, bitch, I'm done with you. And that was it. And so, and he really did slap me because I had like post earrings and the post actually went back into the flesh behind my ear. I had to like pull it out. <laughs> but it looked good. And it's something that, you know, I don't want to say that you had to work it or pull it, but if he if he'd done anything else than what he'd done, it wouldn't have meant what it does now. And that's kind of the whole thing. Like whenever I hit Cornette or whenever I did anything, there's no question it's real. And and I wanted that aspect of like, yeah, I didn't want anybody to look at me like, oh yeah, that was good. You know, yeah. wow, really good. And it, you know, when Hawk says good punch doll, you know, it was good. So. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I know there was another occasion where Dusty slapped you in the face too. Uh, this was in the ring though, and the crowd popped, which is uh, an odd sight to see, which must be a credit to you because you must have been such a good heel that they didn't mind seeing it happen. Well, this I believe that was like May of 85. It was like when Dusty was really starting to get his heat, like with, with Tully building up for the Great American Bash. And Dusty was afraid that whenever he slapped me, that it would actually turn him heel. He was he was afraid that that would happen. So whenever he slapped me, if you watch the crowd, even the women are going hit her again, hit her again, and and the women are the was and and to me, it, it's scary because I've taken people to a brink of almost insanity, 
with the hatred that they had for me because if if a woman's telling a man to hit another woman and she doesn't even know her and it's just a character it was scary but i look at it now i look back i don't think any female in wrestling had as much heat as i did in 1985 i just i just don't see it it was <laughs> it was fun it was fun but it was scary because at any moment it, it could have gone really bad real bad <laughs> That's it. And, and this isn't in my questions, but it's just kind of made me think, uh, what's it like to be hated like that on that level? Like, because I know that the horsemen, I don't know if you would partake in going out with them to the bars after the shows or anything like that, but you're all hated people and you're out in public after the shows like that. Did you ever have confrontations? It seems like you would have confrontations quite a lot in uh, public. <sighs> With me, not so much, but like with the guys, you'd always have the guys come up with, you know, like all like a bantam chicken and being all puffed out their chest. But when you're with guys like Flair and Tully and Arn and the Road Warriors and those guys that when you walk into a place, nobody's going to mess with you. They may talk about it, but they're not going to do anything. And especially since I had the reputation of like being really tough and, and, beating people up you get kind of that look from across the room but I never really had anyone come up to me I, you got the looks and I was often I think the coolest thing was like two o'clock in Harris Teeter one night I'm like shopping and the people are walking towards me and you get that kind of eye contact where they they think they recognize you but you're not sure if they recognize you and then on the other side of the aisle, it was like I could hear him. Yeah, that's that woman from wrestling. That's that girl that, yeah, she's on wrestling with the wrestlers. And and you could hear him like get real excited. And I looked down in my basket and I've got like Cheetos and tampons. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to be a star, I need something else than Cheetos and tampons in my car. So I start putting other stuff in. But it's it's more that like that's the one from TV rather than the hatred. It's more like the day of the show and going to the show you got more heat because people were more into it. Right. But really, I was very fortunate and I really liked being a heel more because the people did kind of leave you alone. Now with a baby face, it's totally different. You've got to be nice and you've got to be smiling and you've got to sign the autographs and everything and the hugs and the whole, and it's just so much being a baby face. With a heel, they kind of leave you alone. It's a lot better. <laughs> Cool, cool. Um, I wanted to ask about the Road Warriors. Um, I've had some other people on the show, and every time the name of them have been brought up, there's always some you know lovely stories about them. Uh, do you have any stories about those guys uh, and your interactions with them over the years? Mm. I remember that Hawk had gotten some uh, steroids, I guess, from the pituitary gland of a gorilla. And he was uh, so excited about this stuff that he'd gotten from the gorilla. And I believe that after he took it, he actually grew like two inches, which is unusual for a man over 22 to actually grow in height. But it it made him like stimulated his growth and the whole thing. So <sighs> rotors were, were um, they were they were funny because they were from Minnesota, which my mom's from Minnesota. So we kind of had that aspect, but they were always, you know, with a spinal tap movie where they said, 
you know, why go to 10 when you can go to 11? <laughs> Animal was like 12 and Hawk was like 15 all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love them. Uh, okay, I wanted to bring it to Jim Cornette here because I think this is this is a bit of fun stuff. Uh, you take a tennis racket to the head on NWO Worldwide Wrestling in April 1986, and that also uh, you have a, a bunch of matches on the Great American Bash Tour against Jim. Uh, how fun was this working with him? It oh, actually he did the tennis racket to my stomach. It wasn't my head. Oh right, okay. Yeah. That was a deal where I would never be able to have children. That was one of the things that they but so yeah, it was to the gut. And oh my gosh, Jim and Jim and the Midnight Express got so much hate mail from that. The there were guys in prison that wrote to me that said that they would get out and would list a date and if I wanted them to take care of Cornette just to let them know that they would go take care of Cornette for me. It was that serious. And I got, I would say more than five letters like that. Like seriously, they would take out Cornette for me. If I, if I just let them know, they would take care of him. <laughs> so I can imagine what Cornette got. Um, it, it was kind of a fun angle, but for me, it was really hard because Cornette's promos were so brutal and making fun of me and my size and my weight and the whole thing just over and over and over was, it was a little rough, but it was money and it worked and, and you have to kind of realize, well, it's not really real, but it's still, some of those problems were, were, were a bit, um, <laughs> they hurt, they stung. I can imagine Tim does have a bit of an, <laughs> oh, well. an acid tongue, uh, oh, acid yeah. tongue, sorry. Um, Okay, uh, you have such a great run there, uh, and you end up leaving for the UWF. I know it's a, a long time ago, and you spoke about this before, but what reasoning was it that you ended up leaving after having this great run? Um, well, Sam and I had just gotten married, and uh, they were going to send him to Kansas City. I was going to stay and uh, work with uh, Flair. They just put me with Flair. I knew that if I ran with Flair, I would probably die. I, I could not run with him. I could not keep up with him. Just, it was one of those situations where it was not going to end well. And then just getting married, I didn't want to see him, Sam halfway across the country and never get to see him and, you know, have him starving out there and, and just so why not starve and be miserable together? So I told <laughs> Dusty I, I wanted to go to Kansas City and it, it 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 crushed him. I could tell that it was it really hurt him. But I mean, you know, life goes on. And and I look at it. It it was kind of time for me to leave. It was a good time for me to leave because it just left the question of like where did she go, the whole thing. We went to Kansas City until let me see that would have been like September to January maybe. We'd had enough, and then we went to Dallas. Went to UWF. It was. Back then, you could go, you know, you didn't have like really set contracts that if you weren't happy with someone, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> you could just go. And my contract was up with Crockett. It was, um, UWF was still going, um, let me see, um, Grizz was working with uh, Bill Watson, so we did a lot of trips with him, and it was kind of a good family thing to be together, and 
we had some good matches. Um, Sam had really good matches with Eddie Gilbert and then the girls with uh, Missy and Dark Journey and Sunshine and myself, we had the four-way cat fights and um, it was a, it was a good couple of months. Oh, some really, really long road trips. Oh my gosh. But we survived. We did, and we did really well. And then Sam went Excellent. to WWF after that. And I went to, uh, I went back to Crockett with Zabisco for a little while. Yep, that's right. Uh, and I'm going to bring up uh, Zabisco in a minute. But uh, as you alluded to there with Ric Flair, I, I, um, I guess I wanted to ask a little bit about him because uh, I remember uh, it was Bobby he Bobby the Brain Heenan talking uh, in his Hall of Fame speech about uh, he was asked by Vince McMahon to be on the road with Ric Flair just for six months. We just I just needed to do it for six months, Vince said. And Bobby um, quit after about five days and told Vince that his liver was now on hold because he was he was on the road with Larry Flint. Um, so <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> just from Bobby and the way that he reacted in his speech. Um, but uh, do you have any stories of, of uh, any funny stories of, uh, of Rick and his shenanigans back then? Oh my gosh. I don't know how Rick did it because he would be the first one in the lobby with a tuna fish sandwich and a cup of coffee at five o'clock in the morning, talking to the, um, Girl behind the counter had, had all the maids, everybody like singing, dancing on the go, was on the plane to the show, was the last one to leave the bar, and then back up first thing in the morning. I don't know where he got the energy. I tried to keep up, I couldn't do it. <coughs> I'm trying to think of like there's so many Rick Flair stories, and so many that have been told over and over again. <laughs> I understand. It's um Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Jackson, I, I believe it was Jacksonville, Florida, but I'm not sure. We're in the bar and Flair's got a couple of girls on each side. I'm off on the right-hand side over here. And there's, there's a bunch of us just all circle the ball, the bar. Well, Flair's kind of talking to these girls, talking to these girls. Well, this one girl walked in, she looked like a model, like Cosmopolitan, off the cover magazine, but like the everything. She walked up to Flair and was just like, you like these? And she opened up her dress and everything. And she said, do you like these? Exactly. Flair was like, and he says, yes, I do. And they just turned around and left. And that was it. And the other girls are like, what happened? And you have to kind of look of like, oh, you just got you just got served because that other girl just I'd never seen that before never saw it ever again after that but anytime Flair tells you a story of like what happened with girls I guarantee it it did it really did. <laughs> it's like something out of a movie it, really it was it was just one of those things that like it was almost like light shone on her whenever she walked in the bar like it was all staged and the whole thing and it was just <laughs> <laughs> Only player. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, that really tickled me. Um, okay, uh, so yes, '88, you returned to uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, managing uh, good old Larry Zbysko uh, during his feud with Barry Windham over the Western States Heritage Championship. Um, I know you've answered this before, but for those out there that may not know, 
Your tenure was short-lived as uh, your husband uh, at the time was working for the WWF and it was regarded as a conflict of interest, which is to me sounds really weird because I don't see that at all. But please, uh, could you let me know what, what, what the go was here? It, well, Larry and I, out of the ring, great friends, everything's good, but in the ring, we just didn't click. Right. We didn't have we didn't have the magic like what Tully and I did. It was um, just a lot of stuff going on, and for it to be a conflict of interest, I I kind of see their point. But what am I going to tell anybody, or what Sam going to tell anybody? I mean, it was. I think it was a lot of excuses because no one had had the relationship like Sam and I did, where you're like conflicting territories and male and female and the whole thing and and it was it was new and I don't think the guys knew how to react to it <laughs> to me I would much rather them say that hey you and Larry aren't working out we just can't find a spot for you right now maybe later on down the road but to make an excuse like with Sam and I it was it was kind of cheap and petty but it, it to me, it just didn't work out with Larry. And, and to let me go, that was fine. I mean, it's kind of weird in the wrestling business. Whenever they're done with you, you just, on the booking sheet, they just quit putting your name. They don't actually fire you. They just quit booking you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well, time goes, you know, life goes on. It was, it was fine. <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't try, even though I know you won't tell me, and that's fine. But the infamous envelope. I got to try because everyone out there will be like, why didn't you at least try? This is your job, Carl. But look, I'll try, but I guarantee you she's not going to tell anybody what was in the infamous envelope that um that you had on uh, on Dusty there. See, if it were up to me, I, I, I would tell. But back a long time ago, whenever I started coming back, like 2005, started doing interviews and things like that. Um, people were asking, like, what was in the envelope? And I still actually have the envelope. <laughs> it's up in my china cabinet so um i asked Dusty. i said i was at a, like a fan fest I, I believe it was in capital city maryland and i was like dusty what should i tell people what's in the envelope i know we didn't tell anybody like during the whole angle and everything and i still have the envelope what do i tell him he said baby never tell you he says as long as you never tell them they will always keep asking and that's the whole thing. And it, and it made so much sense because if I'd come out, no, yeah, this, this, and this, and here's what's in the envelope, ta-da, there's no more magic left in the magic show. And that's the whole thing. And Dusty is a genius, and I'm not telling. Dusty told me not to. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, I just, I wanted that to happen. I wanted to be denied. Uh, so thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for denying me awesome stuff. Uh, wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't at least try. <laughs> uh, World Wrestling Federation, 1988, you do a tryout with them. Um, how did that go uh, for you? And, and why wasn't there a tenure there for you? I know it went a bit longer. Well, it was it was kind of crazy because I was on the road with Sam and I forget where we were at, but Sam just basically came up and said, hey, Lalani wants to work out with you. Go get your gear on. OK, and this is like one, two o'clock in the afternoon. We're just going to take I thought it was just taking some bumps in the ring. 
Yeah. I had no idea that like WW at that time, WWF was like looking at me. That was my tryout. No one told me. So it wasn't like I was goofing, but I wasn't as serious as I would have been if I know. Because to me, it was just Lalani and I and we're friends and we're just working out. I had I had no idea. Well, then Robin gets in the ring with her and. There's definitely a lot more intensity and spark in Robin's than really think of it, but they'd actually told Robin it was her tryout. So she got the spot. And, and to me, it's perfect because like everybody in our family who wanted to wrestle, wrestled. Because you had Jake and Mike and Robin and and Grizz, and then you had myself and everybody. At one time, everybody was on the road. And so it was, I can't uh, spite her for that. She had a great run with Sherry. She was so much better a wrestler than I w- ever would have been. I'm, I'm big and I'm bulky. And for my size, it would have been awkward to work with smaller girls. And they weren't doing the intergender thing. And not that I would have been any better. I'm just not very good at taking bumps. And she did so she was so good and she got to travel and everything. I, I'm just happy for everybody. So it all worked out. I'm I'm good. I'm good with everything. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so uh, my research, you know, it kind of at this point that there wasn't too much else that I could find except for a little bit later on uh, into the 2000s. But um, did it get to a point where you just felt like you wanted to do something else with your life and move away from uh, being involved in the wrestling business? I had two babies. I had, and um, Sam and I were married in 1986. And then in 1991, I, uh, January 1st, I had Micah, um, Micah Tyler in um, Charlotte. And then September the 15th of 92, I had Michaela whenever we were living in Lubbock. So I had two babies and I knew that with the wrestling business, if I got it involved in it, uh, to be successful, I would never see my family. So I stepped away, stepped, didn't call anyone. I was still making gear for guys at that time. That was the only uh, contacts I had. Um, and basically just knew that for the next 15 to 18 years, I wouldn't be involved in wrestling. So I kind of just dismissed it, never, never thought I'd go back. And it wasn't until... I guess I did like a reunion fan fest in uh, Tampa. The girls and I went to uh, um, Sal Corriente had a deal in Tampa where I walked out to the ring with um, um, Jerry Lawler. And um, he went against Tully and Tully had uh, JJ in his corner and Kevin Von Erich was our special referee. Then I really started doing more of the fan fest in like 2005. And actually moved back to North Carolina then, and uh, pretty much have been doing shows since then. So it's been, God, 16 years now that I've been doing like reunions and legends and fan fests and things like that. And I really like it because you get to see the fans and you get to hear all their stories and the stories about sitting on the couch with the grandparents and how much they hated you and how much they loved you. And <laughs> I, I love it. I just, I just think it's so cool. That is cool. Yeah, and it must be fun, like, kind of, you know, rehashing some of these old, 
you know, uh, things from back in the day, you know, getting out there and you know, opposing Tully and all that stuff. That must have been pretty fun to to relive that stuff again. Um, oh, it is. I, yeah, and I, I found this to be interesting. And again, if the research is wrong, please correct me. There's a show called uh, on the 14th of February, 2009, NWA Mid-Atlantic Heritage Championship match at a show called NWA Charlotte Thorns and Roses at the Charlotte Coliseum. Is it true oh, that you defeated the Barbarian in 47 seconds to win the championship? Sure did. I absolutely <laughs> did. I hit him on the back of the uh, of the head with a crowbar. <laughs> Got the pin, and I won. I won the Legends champion. <laughs> that is awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. I just I thought that was interesting. Um, I was thinking, how the heck could a baby doll beaten the Barbarian by the crowbar? I mean, come on. They, uh, they. It was like the thorns and roses. There was actually yeah. a crow. <clears throat> someone had presented me with like a, this huge bouquet of roses. And then the roses was the crowbar. And whenever I hit them, then the roses like exploded. And then you could see like it was a crowbar. And yeah, it was good. It was, And that was such a cool show. And they had a really neat setup, except for they weren't zoned for the uh, events that they were um, having. So the fire, the fire marshal shut them down. Because I guess there was like one bathroom for like 600 people. And that was just, they uh -huh. didn't know why it was unacceptable. <laughs> Cracky. Um, and uh, there's the, two other matches that I've seen in my research, both against Jim Cornette for big time wrestling in, I believe, 2016. Uh, one at the Spartanburg Memorial Auditorium in South Carolina and one at the <coughs> Colette Street Recreation Center in Morganton, North Carolina. What was it like uh, after all like, those? <laughs> yeah, Morganton's like 20 miles from my house. <laughs> All right. What was it like uh, after all those years getting back in there to whoop Jim Cornette's ass one more time? It was really fun, especially when I grab a headlock on the wrong side and Jim's going wrong side, wrong side. And <laughs> it was, um, it's really cool to get people so involved in the match, even, you know, like what, 25 years later, you, you still get the pop and they still want to see you win and they still want you to, I mean, Cornette has just got so much heat over the past like 40 years. It's just, it, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have worked. So it's all Cornette and thank you very much. And it, it's, it's really funny because like my girls can see me work and my girls can see like YouTube stuff. And it's, um, it's, it's very flattering and very humbling at the same time. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay. So, uh, I believe it was this year, um, an episode of Dark Side of the Ring came out um, that you got to be a part of. Um, did you watch the episode and, and how did you feel about it and the experience of shooting that? I actually have not seen it. I, uh, oh, really? I figured I kind of I know everything already. And, and it's, it, it's, to me, it's almost sad because I didn't know about Robin until I actually heard her in an interview. And, and it broke my heart so much of what she went through and what I could have done and if I could have done anything. And then the sense of my my being so helpless and not being able to help her at that time and, and just to hear that interview. And then now with the dark side, it's like, I don't know if I want to know anymore. I understand. 
I'm kind of, I'm kind of good with it, you know, and, and, um, it, uh, crazy times, you know, you hear all the rumors and you, and you, and you're right there living it and, and you don't see it. It's, it's a lot yeah. to deal with. It, 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 uh, it was, it was pretty shocking watching that episode. That's for sure. Um, so I understand your thoughts on that. Um, wanted to bring it to, I guess, more of a, a positive thing here is the the women's wrestling here in in 2021. <laughs> and I wanted to get your thoughts on on how prevalent they are now uh, on wrestling shows uh, across the board. Uh, and right. yeah, just what you think. Well, considering that, like. In 1985, whenever I like really started, there was a handful of valets and probably what 20 girls working throughout the United States. And now easily 200 girls, if not more. It's um it is definitely changed. The whole scenario of it, the whole everything has changed. And when I look at like what I had to deal with back then to what the girls have now, like with social media, I don't see how they can, that would be rough because you'd have so much good, but then you'd have that negative, no matter how good you're like with Charlotte, you know, like how anybody can disparage Char Charlotte Flair, but then they're so mean to her. And, and it's just, it would be rough with social media. I don't know if, if like, being talents should have to deal with fans in that way, but you have to now. And it's, yeah, it, it'd be it's, scary. I mean, you had the girls down in Florida that they had the creeper in their house. You know, they, they're like spending the weekend together, just hanging out. And then you've got some creepy guy trying to break into your house out, you know, out on the. It pisses me off so much that there's some people are just mental and, and uh, I agree, uh, the social media is, I, I see it every day on Twitter. I see just horrible, harsh comments from people that the, the picture isn't them and it's not their real name. So it's just a, a made up account that they've got there. Right. And, and they just like, they will seek out whoever it is that they don't like and just target them with like real, just garbage, just hot garbage, just, judgmental kind of uh comments to try and downplay uh their accomplishments and i'm all about putting everybody that's been a part of the business on a pedestal so i often get into arguments with people online which i shouldn't do but it's just it's really toxic the internet and uh <laughs> i'm glad that you you didn't have to deal with that back in the day <laughs> right it's so toxic but once in a while you get that little gem someone will send you like a little video clip or a little picture or something that is just, it's like a diamond in the rough or it's finding like platinum or whatever it is. It, it almost makes the internet worthwhile, but yeah, the toxicity of it is, is really, it's dreadful. It's, it's awful. And I try not to get too much involved into it. I'm more into the political. I'll be mean and nasty with politics and wrestling is kind of different, but there, it, and I guess because there's no, names with the faces and there's no accountability i think be, people yeah. become a lot more bolder than of course when they're if they're standing right there in front of you and and sometimes i think that they just do stuff just to 
do stuff to get a reaction. There's there's no meaning behind it. There's there's no thought pattern. It's just wanting to get that reaction. Absolutely. It's almost like uh, if, if you're in person with somebody, then that thought you've got in your head has to filter through your brain and the, the words have to come out your mouth. So right. the internet doesn't have that filter because you don't have that uh, <laughs> confrontation. The accountability of it, yeah. You've got no one looking at you going, you should not have done that. No. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, nice to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the interview here, baby doll. And uh, one other question I wanted to ask about, we had an interview, we, we had this uh, interview scheduled a few weeks ago, but something happened to your husband with some hornets. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me about what happened there, because the picture that you showed me of his hand, oh it had blown up like a balloon. Oh, my God. Yes. My husband um, is is like the man's man. I mean, he he hunts. He uh, cuts steel. He can work all the big equipment. He can drive the 18-wheeler. Whatever you need to have done, he'll do. Well, his boss is with a place that he's working, wanted him to clear out. I believe it was like 10 acres. They had like a, a pine wood forest. So there was a couple of oak trees, but a bunch of pines that he had to just level. They were going to do a pasture and a couple of corrals for their horses. Um, so when they were clearing the land, there was like this big stump and he went over there to, to go knock it over. Well, there was a hornet's nest in there. So whenever he knocked it over, they swarmed. He's in the excavator trying to go across the field as fast as he can with all these hornets. He said it was like a cartoon, like with a big cloud and the hornets and it got him on it. Whatever skin they could find, that's where they glommed onto it. So his hands, his arms, his underarms, he had holes in the legs of his jeans. So like the hornets went up, up inside of his pants legs around like where a sock line was. I counted 48 knots where they had stung him on his neck, his everywhere. But his hands were the ones that were the worst. So he's got like footballs for hands the next day and he wants to go because his boss is out of town and he's wanting to get all this work done so that his boss will be really happy whenever he comes back. Plus one of the guys that he works with gave up a trip to the beach to work the dump truck the next day. So he's obligated, you know, your friend has given up the trip to the beach. I've really got to work. So the next day he actually taped his hands to the controllers so he could work the excavator and the other guy was driving the, they were loading dirt. So he'd load the dirt up in the dump truck and the guy would dump it off then bring it back. They'd load up more dirt with his hands taped to the controllers. That's, that's my guy. <laughs> okay. That is a real man's man. If I've ever heard of one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they Thank stayed, you for sharing they, that. His hands stayed swollen up for probably five days where he couldn't like close them all the way. And it was like, yeah. I think it was like on the fifth day that he could actually get his wedding ring back on his finger where the swelling had gone down enough. Oh my gosh. Scary stuff. Uh, <laughs> so uh, with that being said, uh, any fans out there, of baby doll wondering what life is like for you these days what is a typical week in in the life of baby doll right now oh my gosh um i have a small farm i have like 45 chickens and a turkey and uh three dogs and and a six-year-old we're actually raising my husband's um six-year-old grandson so he started first grade uh we have great adventures i have like a little over eight acres it's it's not a lot but it's it's just right to be able to walk and i've got a big trail and 
Um, been having lots of vegetables this summer with uh, cucumbers and tomatoes and getting ready for okra to start. And it's just, I live in Western North Carolina. So it's like a perfect place that you, I've lived so many places and this is perfect. I've got mountains. I'm, I'm like three hours from the beach. Um, my, my one daughter, my youngest daughter lives up in Lenore. My oldest daughter lives over in Asheville. So all my family is really close. It's um, a very happy time, a very blessed time. Uh, best of all, I've got a really super husband that, that takes really good care of me and I love him and he loves me. And we're just, it's just a really, really good time in our lives. Just super. And, and wow. getting to do podcasts and getting to talk to everyone. It's um it's the best of both worlds because I can have my little wrestling thing going on and you know, like my deal with Ryder and being, you know, hanging out with a six-year-old and my husband and my kids. And it's um it's really cool. Really That's cool. awesome. That 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 really warms my heart to hear that. Uh, I, I I love hearing that. And uh, where you're living in your situation, that's that's like my dream is to to kind of like live in a place like that. That sounds really amazing. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. And uh, before we go here today, I, I do have one final segment of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. It's twelve quick fire questions. So you have got five seconds to answer each question. It's not that daunting though. It's just your favorite this, your favorite that. So okay. here we go, baby doll, five second frenzy. Who would you say is your favorite wrestler of all time? Favorite wrestler of all time would be uh, Terry Funk. Excellent choice. Uh, over the years, uh, having performed in the ring or uh, you know being uh, at odds with somebody in the in the business, who would you say is your favorite opponent? My favorite opponent would have to be uh, Cornette. Excellent, excellent. Uh, would that be the same too if I asked you what would be your favorite match that you've had over the years in the wrestling business? Um, the, my favorite match that I've had over the years just happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was managing my daughter, Samantha Starr, when uh, she faced, oh my gosh, I cannot, Ch uh, Ch Chalance, um, and she had Dark Journey in the corner. That was my all-time favorite match. My daughter was an absolute superstar. Awesome. I'll have to uh, uh, look her up and, and, and see what's going on there. And see, they let us be heels, which was so cool. Yeah, they actually let <laughs> us be heels. <laughs> that must have been good fun. Um, getting away from wrestling now, getting into the arts here, what is your favorite book? Uh, Gone with Win. Excellent choice. Favorite TV show? The Office. Oh, one of my favorites as well. I think I've seen it three times through already now. <laughs> uh, favorite film? Favorite film? Um, over the um, Over the Rainbow. Nice. Um, uh, um, you, you, you're doing really. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, but yeah, the uh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> no, you're doing really well here. You're getting the answers out quick. Most people have a hard time getting their answers out quick. Uh, Favorite musical artist? Oh my gosh. Um, just one? Just one. That's no, okay. You can pick a few if you want. <laughs> um, there's not, see, there used to be so many go to's, and now I don't have any go to's anymore because everybody's like changed so much. Um, if I was going to choose one, it would be 
between Pink Floyd and Aerosmith. Oh, yes. Aerosmith are definitely one of my favorite bands. Excellent. I named uh, my oldest daughter Tyler because of Steven Tyler. My really? married name was, was Smith at the time. So if it was a boy, I was going to name him Colton Aerosmith because I thought Aerosmith for a boy would be really cool because how cool would it be if a guy walked up to you and went, hi, my name's Arrow. That would be so cool. But, that um, is perfect, yeah. And then I found out she was a girl, so I named her Micah Tyler Smith because of Sam's name's Mike, and then my name, we kind of combined everything. So it was cool. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, and some good choices there. Uh, getting away from the arts now, favorite food? Oh, favorite food. Um, I love sushi. I think sushi is kind of my all-time favorite right now. Nice. I found out my limit. We had a, oh gosh, I, I had done a show up in New York. I came back. I hadn't eaten in like 24 hours. I wanted to get sushi. I found out like 22 pieces of sushi is my limit. I can't eat <laughs> after that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, wow. Um, Chinese buffets. That's kind of where you can kind of look at the food. That's kind of my go-to. Nice. Uh, favorite alcoholic beverage? Bloody Mary's. Excellent. All day long. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and the second last one. You can have them so you can have them for breakfast. You can have them for breakfast. You exactly. can have them for lunch. You can have them for supper. And they're healthy. So, yeah, Bloody Mary's. Yep. No, I, I dig. I dig. Uh, the second last one for Five Second Frenzy is... What would be, you know, you see a good-looking guy, what would be your go-to? What is your favorite male body part or attribute? Oh, wow. Um, athleticness, like just height and broadness, like athleticism. Right. Excellent, excellent. And uh, the last one, I don't believe you have uh, said one swear word in this interview so far, but it's your favorite curse word. Oh, fuck. Fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuckity fuck. Get off my fucking properties, you fucking idiots, has been my favorite saying for about six months now because I've got idiot neighbors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much uh baby doll you didn't expect that one did you <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic it's fantastic uh i really want to thank you for your time uh to to talk with me and connect with me today you know this has just been a lot of fun uh i know it took us a while to get here but we finally got here we've had fun and i wanted to say before i sail off into the sunset tonight that you should be so proud of everything that you've accomplished in your life in the business out of the business living your best life right now it's so important that you are and i'm happy to hear of it and from the most isolated city in the world perth western australia you have somebody here that appreciates you my friend well, thank you very much. Are you guys in lockdown now? I, I, I'm seeing, hearing so many stories and just the craziness of what you guys are going through. Luckily, on my side of the country, we are completely, so we're so isolated and our border's been locked down for quite some time that we don't have to wear masks. Uh, everything's pretty, there's no cases over here. But on the east side of the country, yes, there, yeah, there, there are some problems going over there, but hopefully by the end of the year, it, it might be under control. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. 
Yeah. Well, blessings to you, and hopefully it still goes it goes good for you. I hope so. And it, and from from you guys, it just keeps spreading outward. So all we have to do is just wait and see. You know. That's it. Excellent. And 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 I just want to thank you again for being on the show and connecting with me today. Well, you're welcome. It was very nice. Thank you so much. No problem. And uh, thank you again. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California, in theory with my new friend, Baby Doll, Nicola Roberts. And we will see you next time. Thank you.